Well, good morning, Bel Air. All right, let's jump right in. Why don't you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. It's that uh, red book in the pews right in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take one with you. We can refill it as fast as you can take it. And people have been taking us up on that. And they've been giving it away to their friends and family. We even had somebody email us from China that said, hey, I want one of those red Bibles. And we said, cool. And so we mailed it to them. I've been saying the last couple of weeks, you know, it's, it's red, color red for a reason because we want it to be red. We want it to be opened. We want it to be... Uh, I know you're like, the choir this morning when I said that was like, groan. And I'm like, if just one person, if just one person believes that and takes it home with them, it's worth it. I'll be a fool for Christ any day. I'll do bad jokes any day. But we want God's word in your life because we believe it to be the most powerful, the most powerful truth in existence. We give more weight to it than any other thing. And as we go to Luke chapter 5, if you're joining us online, we'll... I, uh, 8.30. They just, mm-hmm. So if you don't know, Ron, lo, what, well, I've got a different translation. So we're, hold on, here we go. Luke 5. Luke 5? Okay, if you're online, we've got New Revised Standard Version. And it's verses 27 through 32. And we're in a series right now. I'll keep dressing like a waiter for the rest of the series because uh, we're in a sermon series called Meals with Jesus. And if you missed it last week, there was a biblical scholar by the name of Robert Karras who said that in the gospel according to Luke, Jesus is either on his way to a meal or he's at a meal or he just left a meal. In fact, statistically speaking, there are more miracles and more teaching that happen at a meal by Jesus than any other context. More than out in the countryside, more than in a synagogue, it's at meals that Jesus fulfills much of his ministry. So let's listen to this, Luke 5, 27 through 32. After this, he, this is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, let's leave these Bibles open. Let's give thanks again because... It begins in verse 27 with after this. Well, what just happened? What was the this that happened prior to this? Well, turn back. Look at the beginning of Luke 5. And the first point that I want you to hear today is that uh, Jesus, whenever he is present, it seems like things flow in the opposite direction than from what people expect. Whenever Jesus is present, it seems like things flow in the opposite direction. In fact, right in the beginning of Luke 5, you see that Jesus calls his disciples, students, to follow him. This is the complete opposite direction from what you expect. But we take it for granted. Let me rewind for a second. Imagine if you went to the Niagara Falls and you saw the water flowing up. I mean, wouldn't that just stop you dead in your tracks? If you were driving down the street and you saw somebody with the hose watering their lawn, but the water was flowing back into the hose, wouldn't you, ah, what? Pull out your phone and what? 
If you were boiling water and the steam was coming into the pot of boiling water, I mean, wouldn't that just stop you in your tracks? This should stop you in your tracks. Because in the first century, no rabbi, no teacher ever called a disciple to follow him. It was students, it was students of the law that chose their rabbis, that chose their teachers. Jesus did the complete opposite thing. He says, you right over there, you follow me. Then the next scene right after that, you can read it later this afternoon. You've got plenty of time before you go to bed. As you follow along in Luke 5, Jesus encounters a man with leprosy. The world says that leprosy should flow from somebody who is afflicted to somebody who is unafflicted. But Jesus does the complete opposite and his holiness, his cleanliness causes the man with leprosy to be healed. It's like the Niagara Falls flowing upward. And then after that, a man is carried who is lame, who can't walk, is carried in place before Jesus. He is considered unclean. He is considered tainted by sin. And the Pharisees, which were teachers of the law, these, these weren't professional priests. This was a group of people that literally believed that people who were sick, people who sinned, people who were poor, there was something in their life that they had done to cause them to be afflicted. And so they lived with arm's length of all those people. And Jesus says, not only get up and walk, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And in the first century, people believed that if you were around somebody with brokenness, that you would be tainted, that you would be affected. But Jesus flowed holiness and righteousness and redemption and forgiveness into his life. And we've got to remember that because we live in a world where there are a lot of forces that are overwhelming us and we have no idea what to do. You think about the events that happened this week in Florida, what do we do? You think about the things that are happening in parts of the world that we're not even aware of and when we become aware of them, we think, what do we do? Well, in the same way that Jesus was able to reverse the flow of things, he gives us his spirit to be part of that movement, to reverse the flow of things. So even though my two boys right now are sick, even though I wish I could just walk in the room as a healthy dad and my health just caused them to get better, I know that the opposite will happen. It will probably be their sickness that, that catches up to me. But as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I can pray boldly. Heal them. Don't get me sick. And regardless of what happens, I know that God is good, that God is bigger than a cold, he's bigger than any bronchitis, he's bigger than pneumonia, he's bigger than all of that. I want to share something with you that you're not even aware of. We have a partner in the Congo, Pastor James. He's preached in this pulpit a number of times. He's been to our family camp. Many of you have met him, been blessed by his ministry, will he sent word to us this week that there's tremendous tribal warfare that's happening in that village in Bunia in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. Hundreds of people are being killed. Women and children are being violated. And we as a church want to push back against that flow. And we push back through prayer and we push back through action. And so this week, we are wiring money to Pastor James. He's one of our partners. See, this is the amazing thing. This isn't just somebody, I hope the money gets there. I hope it gets used in the right way. This is one of our formal partners around the globe through one of our strategic partnerships. 
that we know that when we wire money to Pastor James and that leadership group, that every dollar sent will go towards God's kingdom work on the ground for transformation on the ground. Right now, if we send $100, seven families will be able to eat for a week. How much are we going to wire this week? It all depends on us as a church family. And so we've got an opportunity to give above and beyond. You know, we, we ask for things throughout the year that are above and beyond. You know, turkey baskets and a deacon's ministry. But there's certain things that are unplanned that we have no idea it's going to happen. And nobody can give all the time above and beyond. But there's certain things that we respond to and we say, you know what, I'm going I'm to forego this week in order to make that happen. And if you want to give, you can take those envelopes, you can write the Congo. You can put in cash. Nobody carries cash anymore. You can write a check. Even less people carry cash anymore. So why don't you pull out your phones? In fact, you can text the word Bel Air Church and open up the bulletins inside the bulletin where you, some of you take notes. On the top left, there's a number, 77977. If you text Bel Air Church, be prepared. If you have an iOS, an iPhone, it will spell autocorrect for you. So you're going to have to fix it. You can do it. Uh, send Beller Church to 77977. A link comes back and you can figure out. And if you have any questions afterwards, we can help you with that. How you can give, even if it's $5, $10, $100, whatever it might be, to help our brothers and sisters in need. Let me just pray for us right now as you're doing that. God, I pray that we would be able to respond in a tangible way as a church family. That we would be a people that doesn't get overwhelmed and paralyzed by the hurt and the hate and the warfare around this world, but that we would be bold in prayer and we would be bold in action. God, I pray that those two things would flow out of this church family. In Jesus' name, amen. So, right from the get-go, we see that Jesus, wherever he goes, it seems like things flow the opposite direction, and it gets right back to this section. Take a look. Open those Bibles back up to Luke 5. And if you're texting with your left hand to that number, it's okay. Keep going. We can multitask. Luke 5, 27. After he, this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now let's just pause right there. First century, tax collectors were hated. Absolutely hated. This man, Levi, was Jewish by birth. Okay? Uh, flesh and blood. He was an Israelite, brothers and sisters of the nation of Israel, and yet he worked for the enemy. The Roman Empire had stretched its, its grip over the whole region and was extracting resources and money from the people. And so tax collectors had sided with the enemy, so to speak, we're literally skimming a little and sometimes a lot off the top. So not only were they enemies to their brothers and sisters, they were actually seen as an enemy to God. Hated, despised, the lowest of the low. And Jesus says, perfect. That's exactly who I'm looking for to be part of my family. That's exactly who I'm looking for to follow after me. That's exactly who I'm looking for to be part of my revival and renewal. That's exactly who I'm looking for to be part of transforming this world. And you've got to know that there's people here today in this place or even online that feel like Levi. They feel like an enemy of God. Whatever you've done in your life, and maybe because you're not even here and you're joining online, it's because you're so afraid to even show up at a church. And I've got to tell you that no matter what you've done, Jesus looks at you and says, perfect. You are exactly who I'm looking for. 
And the same way that Jesus said to Levi, chose him, personal invitation, follow me. Jesus is saying to you, follow me. How are you going to respond? Don't just go through the motions. Don't just show up at church. Don't just do this kind of cultural thing of a Sunday morning once in a while. You have a God that looks at you and says, no matter what you've done, I want you to follow after me. How will you respond? How does Levi respond? Take a look. Verse 28, he got up, left everything, and followed him. He responded. He left everything. He left his old way of living behind. He left his identity behind. He left his fear behind. He left all of it behind. And Jesus is calling you, follow me. Would you respond in such a way that you would say, okay, I'm going to give up all of that. And I'm going to follow. I don't know where you're going to take me, Jesus, but I'm going to follow you. And for some people, it's a dramatic conversion. Some people, it doesn't seem that different, but the motivation for doing things absolutely changes. I was in that second category. I first started showing up to this church in the late 90s, and I came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And on the outside, things looked the same, but my motivation for doing them had absolutely shifted because I thought that if I just did stuff for God, He would love me. If I showed up at church, He would love me even more. If I served, He would love me even more. And so what changed? I kept showing up to church. I kept serving. But now it was simply in response out of gratitude for the free gift of grace that he had given me. So some of you, you're like Levi and you're sitting right here. And I hope and pray that you would tune me out and you would hear the voice of Jesus that says to you right now, follow me. And in this service, you can just pray, Jesus, yes, I want to follow you. Wherever you want to take me, I'll follow. What's amazing is what happens next. Though he leaves everything, and though he follows him, verse 29, then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with him. This is the complete opposite of what so many of us experience today. Let me explain. So Levi, he, lives, he leaves his life behind, but he keeps his friends. He stops doing the things that break God's heart, but he keeps his friends. You know how different that is than most of what we hear in the church today? We're told, get rid of those old friends. Get rid of them. Stay away from them. They're, they're a bad influence. They're toxic. They're, they're, they're going to sway you the wrong way and start coming to church and be around people that are good and be around Christians. And what happens then is we do the complete opposite of what Levi did. We leave our old friends behind, and now we keep doing the things that God breaks, that break God's heart, but now we do it in secret. And we hide from this new group of friends. And Levi shows us that actually God wants you to leave your life behind, but he wants to invite those friends that are broken, that are selfish, that are caught up in their own way of living. He wants their heart too. And God wants to use you in their life. Now, of course, there's certain instances where you have to draw healthy boundaries. There are some certain instances where you got to say, no, you know what, I, it's, I, I can't do that. But for the majority of the time, God wants us to maintain those relationships for those people that don't yet know Jesus. And that's what Levi did. He threw a banquet. He threw a party. He says, come, my friends, you got to meet this one that changed my life. That gave me a new identity. That gives me hope. 
And we see at the table this tremendous amount of grace that's extended. This grace that is given to the lowest of the low, the outcasts, the, those on the margins of society. But the crazy thing is that there's other guests at that table, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, a group of people, they were not professionals, they were not priests, but they had taken all the requirements for the priests in the Old Testament and they had placed that on everyone. And over and above that, they added more laws, more restrictions, more things for you to do in order to be loved by God, to be, to be holy, to be an insider. And how do they respond to those guests at the table? See, they don't have a problem with the food. They don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the guest list. Take a look. Verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, one of the most important questions you could ask in the first century was this. Who am I going to share a meal with? Because who you shared a meal with was your community. Who you shared a meal with were people that you were willing to say, I am equal to you. And in that culture, especially among the Pharisees, they had this idea that, that if there was sin out there, if there was brokenness out there, if there was impurity out there, if there was uncleanliness out there, your job was to keep it at bay and to avoid it. Now, the irony is, is that they're dealing with the problem of sin the opposite way, the wrong way, the backwards way. Let me take a step back and explain. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, there's a progression for how sin enters the world. Now, I've said the word sin a lot, and we might have different definitions for what that means, but the, the word for sin is hamartia. It literally means to aim for the wrong thing, to miss the mark. We, we think certain things will give us peace, and they don't give us peace. We think certain things will give us security, and they don't give us security. We, certain things will give us joy, and they don't, they don't truly give us joy. We, we aim for the wrong things all the time. And the way it enters the world is this. First it was present, and then it had power over the first humans, and then there was a penalty as a result. Now, human-made religion deals with sin in that exact order. Human-made religion says, don't allow sin to be present in your life. Stay away from it. Protect yourself from it. Isolate yourself from it. Don't let it get near you. And if you don't, if you don't hang around those people... If you don't get out and get tainted by the world, it won't have power over you. And then at the very end of your life, you'll be before God. He'll say, no penalty. Come on into my family. The ironic thing is that when you try to deal with sin that way, which is a human-made invention, by the way, to deal with sin that way, the opposite happens. When you try to keep sin away from you, it actually has more power over your life. You go around in fear, actually being fearful of, you know, am I being penalized for this or not? Did I do enough or not? And some of you, you're here and you're worshiping and you're doing so because you're trying to get the bad out. You're trying to get the good in. You're hoping that one day God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're forgiven. But that's not how God deals with sin. It's this thing called Grace that turns it all the way around. 
God says, I've got to deal with the penalty first. And then I've got to deal with the power of it in your life. And then I'm going to deal with it in all of its presence. Let's take a look. Open those Bibles back up. Let's go to Romans. Hang with me here. And we'll talk about some food in a moment. Romans. Romans 3.9. Actually, let's do Romans 3.10. Oh, oh, yes, yes, sir. You're jumping on it, aren't you? What what page? 9.15. 9.15. Here we go. As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, and there is no one who seeks God. Remember how the end of that meal, Jesus says, uh, you know, a, a doctor comes, a physician comes, not for the, the healthy, but for the sick. Not for the righteous, but for sinners to call them to repentance. Here's the amazing thing is that Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying here in Romans 3, that no one is righteous, that we've all aimed for the wrong thing. We all need grace. We all need grace. But take a look. Take a look in chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to His grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Now, pause there. Here's the amazing thing. Is that Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He doesn't say, you know, it, it's okay for you to be selfish. Uh, you know, it, it's okay for you to be uh, somebody that lacks integrity. You know, it, it's okay for you to cheat on, uh, on your loved one. It's, it's okay for you. He doesn't do that. He keeps the bar. And he says that actually all of you, all of you are so broken, myself included. All of us are in need of something to set us free from God looking at us and saying, you're guilty. And so what does Jesus do? He lives the perfect life. He goes to the cross on our behalf. He satisfies the debt that we owe. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we receive him by faith. When we receive that gift of grace, God looks at us and he deals with the penalty first. He says, you're not guilty. In Christ, you're saved. You're set free. Right from the get-go, before you've done anything else, through faith and trust in Jesus, you are saved now. Let's deal with the power of it in your life. And that's where the role of the Holy Spirit comes in, that we can, in community, confess our sins to one another, to encourage one another. And as we go throughout our life, we, we are set free more and more from the things that strangle us, that have power over us. And Scripture says that one day we're going to be in God's presence and God's going to say, no more death, no more sadness, no more sin. Even the presence of it will be gone. It begins by receiving something called grace. That's where it starts. And Levi realized how much he needed and he received it. And he threw a party for others to receive it. The Pharisees were sitting at the same table. And they couldn't see it. They refused to receive it because they had their own definition of salvation. 
they thought they had to deal with its presence in their lives. That they had to master the power of it in their lives. That one day there would be no penalty. How do you define salvation? Let me say it in language that we use. I'd just be okay if, fill in the blank. How would you fill in that blank? I would just be okay if I was healthy. Then salvation is health. And the moment you're unhealthy, you're filled with fear. You're filled with doubt. You want to surround yourself with healthy people. How would you fill in the blank? I'd be okay if... I was just happy in a relationship. Then that's your God. That's your Savior. Apart from that, or even in the midst of a rocky relationship, the the hope and the security will, will unravel. How would you fill in that sentence? I'd be okay if I had enough money in the bank. I'd be okay if I was just in control of that situation. You see, every single one of us, we have a little bit of Pharisee in us, and a little bit of Levi in us. And it's so easy for us, especially if we've received Jesus by faith, if we've walked with him for many years, it's so easy after a while to begin to take that grace for granted. Now, about 10 years ago, I I began to realize how much I had taken this little thing called coffee for granted in my life. Just, I want to know, how many of you drink coffee? quick left turn there. Thanks for sticking with me. You know, and I, I would wake up and I would, uh, you know, I'd stumble out and I'd, uh, you know, take the pod, you know, those things, you know, and I'd put it in and I'd shut it. Oh, yeah. And then the old one was there from the day before. I'd throw that out and I'd have to put it back in and press the button, start doing the stuff. And I'd come back to it and I finally got my mug and I'm drinking it. And, you know, and the weeks would go by and the years would go by. And I never really tasted coffee. <laughs> Because it was like this mindless thing. It was just this thing that I, you know, this routine. Kind of like how you can drive to work without even thinking about it. I I, I drank coffee without thinking about it. I took it for granted. Uh, Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that we can take grace for granted. He calls it cheap grace. When we minimize uh, our own brokenness, when we minimize the links that Jesus went to, the, the costliness of his salvation that he gives us, we take it for granted. We cheapen grace. The problem is, is we have cheap food and cheap drink all the time. And I'm not talking about the costs that you've paid for. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about we don't even realize how many steps happen before we can enjoy that bite of rice. We have no idea all the steps and how costly and how overwhelmingly complex all the things that happen just for us to take that bite of the apple, to take that sip of coffee. And so what did I do? I, I, chose, I chose one thing in my life, coffee, because it happened to happen every day. And I said, okay, I want to be more mindful in my consumption of coffee to be reminded of the gift of this thing that God gives me. So what did I do? I bought this. Now, some of you are like, what on earth is that? I'll, I'll quickly say, it, it's a coffee grinder, okay? And about 10 years ago, every single day, I've been doing this for 10 years, at least once a day, put the coffee in on the top, put it in. And I begin to grind. Now, there's no coffee in it right now, so you don't hear how loud and annoying it is because it's like, <sighs> the people who have been around me are like, what is that? And my wife is like, what is that? And the kids are like, what is that, right? But I do it every single day. And it takes about two and a half minutes. 
And as I do this every single day, I begin to think about all the steps that it took for that coffee to get into my hand right then. I think about how it was packaged. Before it was packaged, it was roasted. Before it was roasted, it was shipped from other, some, some other part of the world where it was milled. Before it was milled, it was dried. Before it was dried, it was processed by hand. Before it was processed by hand, it was picked as a ripe coffee cherry off of a coffee plant. Before that happened, four years prior to that, that coffee plant was planted in the ground. But even before that process, there was eons where the flavor of that particular coffee got into the soil in that local place. Did you know that coffee is one of the most complex liquids in the world that we can drink? Over 800 flavors of coffee. Did you know that? But even before that, you have to go all the way back. You think about how we have the gift of taste, how we have the gift of smell. Even before that, we realized that God actually spoke everything into existence, even the soil, even the rain, all these things. And now I'm done. And I pour it in the thing, and I begin to drink my coffee, and I begin to realize just in that moment what a gift this little cup of coffee is. Now, I've done this over 4,000 times. Uh, I don't do that every single time. Uh, just because I do this doesn't make me all of a sudden realize all those steps. But what it does is it creates this space, if I so choose, to reflect on all of the things that went into that gift. Okay, I, I know you're not all coffee drinkers or you don't want to deal with something like this. How many of you drink water? Hands up. Let me see. Water? Are we water people? Okay, the next time you drink water, just, just stop for a moment as you look at it. And consider all the steps that had to have happened. Now, now, some of you are like, this artisan spring in Fiji, I just, wow, that's so amazing that it goes in this package. Outside of that, if any of you drink water from a faucet, as you hold that in your hand, you think about the plumber that installed that hardware for you to be able to pour that out. You think about the, the pipes that go down in the ground. You think about the, the massive infrastructure in the city in which you live. You think about the local water treatment plant and all the workers there. You think about the massive aqueduct system that rain can fall in Northern California or like Canada in drought seasons, wherever it is, and it comes all the way in your cup. You think about all these things just to get a cup of water. You think about how God speaks all of it into existence. God knows when every raindrop falls, every water from a spring bubbles up. He knows all of it because He's the Lord of creation. Do you sit and think when you drink a cup of water at the grace, the free gift that you're taking in? Of course you don't. Of course I don't because I take it for granted. It's cheap water. We cheapen food. We cheapen all of it. And I wonder if one of the reasons why Jesus came to a table so frequently, why at the table was this moment to give grace, to receive grace, to, to expand grace, is because we've got to realize that we don't have within ourselves the solution the problems in our lives. We don't have within ourselves the solution to hunger. 
We don't have within ourselves the solution to thirst. We don't have within ourselves the solution to eternal security or hope or peace or joy or love. We need something outside of ourselves. And when we come to this table and as we partake in the Lord's Supper, let's not be mindless like drinking a cup of coffee or a cup of water. Let's think about the links that Jesus went to. 33 years of a perfect life. As he lived his life, he says, I have come to do the will of my Father. Not my will, but his will be done. You think about how that was a symbol of the most painful form of execution in the first century. And God says, you know, I'm going to use that as a means of grace. You think about the whole history of the nation of Israel. You think about all the prophets that spoke of this Messiah. You think about the law and how it realized and raised our awareness to how much we've been separated from God. You think about all the way back, all the way to the beginning. Even Scripture says that before the foundations of the world, God had in mind what Jesus would do for you on your behalf. Do not take that for granted. Don't let it be cheapened. You've been invited to the most expensive table in the cosmos. And Jesus says, I've paid. I've paid for you to come. Will we be Pharisees that say, no, 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 I got to do this, I got to do that, no, 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 I don't want to see that free gift of grace. Or will we be like Levi that says, I have to drop everything. I'm going to follow you. And even if we follow Jesus for 50 years, we would say, you know what, I need to be reminded again. It is a gift of grace. I receive it through faith. Grace, I love that acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that we would be a people that doesn't just receive that grace, but we would extend that out into our lives that the type of people you hang out with and share meals with and throw banquets for are the worst people in the world the most hateful people in the world, the most despised people in the world, because that's what Jesus did. Receive that grace. Let's give it away. Let's pray. Loving God, as we come to your table and as we continue in worship, would we be reminded of the links that you went to on our behalf? So God, we thank you that it's at the cross that you set things right. May we know that truth, may we receive that truth, and may that grace flow out of our lives today and forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray, and we say together, amen.